Hey everyone, welcome to episode 23 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And we're recording in the evening of the 28th, and we thought we'd check in one last time before the end of the year. And looking at our current stats, I would say my summary is we're doing about the same, but we're consistent in being a strong part of the middle class of the East, and we're starting to get some national recognition for being a serious playoff contender. Yeah, I'd say it, it's really helped our PR that um, Reggie Jackson has done some heroics and uh, Andre Drummond still you know, put up a 20-20 game again recently. He put up a 30-20 game against the Bulls. Too. Yes, and, I, and then just being consistently okay has uh, yeah, gotten us some recognition for not being a terrible team. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're the ninth best team in the East in terms of, you know, uh, margin of victory, uh, difference, which I think is a good indicator of how good you really are. And, uh, what, what did you say our record is compared to, compared to the other teams in the East? It's very tight. We're, we're right, right now we're in the 10th spot, but like, had we beaten the Celtics, we'd be in like the, the sixth spot right now. Yeah. Suddenly the West is, uh, has the, the best three teams in the league, but then the entire middle class of the league is in the East. Uh, so interesting how, how that can change. Um, and I, so basically I think what this means is that um, any of the teams that's clustered in the bottom half of the playoff picture for the East that makes a, makes a run, goes on some kind of winning streak, can really solidify their standing. And, um, you know, I, I feel good about us because, because we're, even though our performance has been up and down, we keep showing these flashes of being really great, and we have these components just kind of sitting there on the table, like uh, Reggie Jackson performing really well on offense, and uh, our defense has still been really great. We're still playing at a top ten level uh, in the league uh, for defense, which you know is really the hallmark of a of a good team. So if we can just get some consistency going on offense, we get some bench players uh, back from injury uh, towards the second half and end of the year. Uh, you can really pretty easily paint an optimistic picture where not only are we uh, nail down, nailing down the eighth spot, but we could climb higher and you know be looking for the fifth spot or something in the East if we if we make make a run and have some things really fall into place for us. Well, the one thing that probably has improved in the say the mo- the latest fifteen games compared to the first fifteen games overall, we've netted out about the same. I think our offense has gotten a little bit better and our defense has gotten a little bit worse. So we're no longer like the 23rd best team on offensive rating. We're the 18th best. Um, and our, and, and our, we've slipped from 7th best to 12th best defense. And I think that's come from picking up the pace a little bit and getting a little bit better at three-pointers. We went from the 26th best three-point percentage team to the 15th best. And I, and I think that, that matches the eye test. Uh, for instance, against we had this great game against the Pacers about a week ago where we blew them out. We were up by 102 to 79 after three quarters, and it wasn't even a game that Drummond played particularly well. It's just that everyone sh- played efficiently, and like Tolliver actually made his open threes, and uh, Stanley Johnson was making open threes. Uh, Ilyasova had a good three-point shooting game. So it, it, it kind of shows how, I mean, I, you can't expect to play that well every game, but... Uh, if we can just, uh, how much better our offense works when the people you expect to make open threes make a, make a reasonable amount of them. And then there's other games where, like, we just can't make the open threes and it just kills our offense. 
And that very thing you mentioned is uh, caught the interest of some of our commentator heroes uh, on Twitter with uh, Zach Lowe saying, you know, man, when the Pistons hit some threes, they're, they're really a dangerous team, especially when their bench does. And uh, professional gambler Horalibus Valgaris, uh, who recently, by the way, as an aside, said uh, to somebody that he watches like like eight to ten hours of basketball per day during the season. Anyway, he, and then he mentioned he really likes how our bench is playing, the, at least that they're attempting a lot of threes, which is a, a good percentage play. Uh, that's a good, I guess, gambler's way to look at things. So, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're top ten in the league in three-pointers attempted in the past 15 games, um, tenth overall. So we're, we're going for it. And at least we've gone from bad to decent at making making them. And we, and we continue to kick butt on offensive rebounding, and, and we're good at taking care of the ball. Uh, it's just that our total overall effective field goal percentage is not good. And, and you know, Drummond not being good at free throws and just getting cold some games, uh, I think that's kind of and, – and being a little bit inconsistent in our defensive intensity, I would say, just watching some of the games. I still feel like on offense we, we still need one more guy who is able to create a couple of additional shots per game um, just – uh, to get a decent shot off in a time when our um, our offense has, has run through its first, second, and third options and we still don't have a good shot, you know, and there's seven seconds left on the shot clock and we need somebody to come up with something. Um, really good teams, I think the reason why great players really help, the, the way that they help the most is that you can give them the ball and they can get a reasonable shot off. You know, Dirk Nowitzki, when all else fails, he can just stick his knee out and fade away and no one can block a shot. We kind of don't have that. We we have Reggie Jackson trying to get to the hole, and he's really good at it. But when when he doesn't succeed, then we kind of don't know what to do. Um, so, I, um, you know, people keep. I, I've heard a couple people say we're kind of one player away, uh, and and I think that's kind of how that shows up. Well, and there are two and there are two players that come to mind who seem like, I mean, really most of our starters seem like borderline second options for that. You have. Uh, I think Marcus Morris is the kind of guy who can pretty much always get off a shot, uh, that, that sort of fadeaway shot. In some games, he makes a lot of them, and other, others he doesn't. So it doesn't end up netting out to be he's a reliable go-to guy, but he at least can get a shot off. Uh, Andre Drummond is just looking a lot more confident in being a, a, an actual option in our offense to pound it to him in the post, and he'll quickly, if he has good position, take a hook shot that he makes a, a reasonable amount of times. And, and more recently, I've noticed that when he's for, too far away from the basket, he's getting better at making smart passes, either a skip pass uh, across to an open, say, KCP or Marcus Morris, uh, or actually, in some cases, backdoor passes or lobbing it in to Ilyasova. Uh, but he still doesn't feel like the kind of guy who's going to be the go-to guy on offense. Um, so maybe one of those guys breaks through still. I do feel like Drummond has had a little bit of a breakthrough season on offense where he's averaging 18 points and uh, actually is a post player now. Yeah, I I see the same flash as you do, and, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that the the eye test is, is going well uh, from your perspective too because um, his numbers still are not that good in terms of efficiency on offense. Um, and I think that that... You know, it's partly just that teams are using the hack strategy more. And so he's just – he's getting to the line more. This last month he got to the line more per game than any other month this year. And in particular, 
but I think was the Atlanta game where he took 18 free throws and made like six of them or something. Um, and you know, the, it's just starting to become a problem. Uh, and, and that might be masking some otherwise very efficient play. Yeah, I do wonder, I wish I had taken the time to drill down to see if you removed, if you just assumed he made 55% of his free throws, what would be his offensive rating versus how much, how much of his seeming inefficiency is just from that? Cause it's, it is a problem. It seems like some teams don't bother to take that strategy, which when, when that happens, you're kind of like, yes, because it helps us. Like, I think, again, in the Bulls game, they, they didn't try to do that. Other games, like against the Hawks, like you mentioned, they just go right to it, and he gets pulled from the game. SPG had an interesting comment, I think, after the or after the Celtics game, when it was getting close and he was sitting out in the game we ended up winning. It was the first time we faced them. Uh, he said that, well, Drummond can stay out on the floor as, as long as his defense steps up and the team's lead doesn't diminish. So he, he said that when he was Dwight, that, that was true of Dwight Howard in the Orlando games, where sure they can hack him, uh, and maybe he doesn't make as many, but he's still out there and he's such a force on defense that we're not actually we're not actually losing our our lead. Yeah, I, I heard that comment too, and I I really I kind of wonder about that because. I mean, it just can't be the case that just his normal good defense is good enough to keep him out there even when we have a terrible offense because he's missing shots. Like, if, if he's hitting 35% of his shots, that's 70 points per 100 possessions. That No team has ever been that bad in the history of the league, and no player who has done that has, like, stayed on a roster for very long. So um, for, on, on those particular possessions where the other team does the hacking strategy, it's just unacceptable. So in order for what Van Gundy is saying to really be true, like that we net okay because of his defense, it would have to be the case that hacking him makes him really angry and makes him try extra hard at, an, on, at a rate that is not humanly sustainable for a whole game, but just for that possession, he wants to make them pay. Um, you know, that sounds like kind of sports writer narrative. Well, I, I I do wonder if the HECA is so effective, then really the other team just has control over basically if they can arrange their roster well enough to group their fouls up so they, they don't foul out, then they just can completely kill our chances because he's our most valuable player. So I I, I still got, I still feel like game to game it differs in how much and how effective it can be. There are some games where. He makes more free throws than others. Obviously, there are some games where he's particularly bad. Um, so maybe that's more what maybe that's more part of it. It's like okay, if he's if he's shooting like actually shooting 50% that game and he's playing particularly well on the boards and on de- on defense, then you can sort of live with it for a little bit longer and not lose the rhythm of the game or or, or not lose sort of like uh, just having to have Aaron Baines out there in crunch time instead of him. But it's it's been it's it's been fun to see. Drummond getting it looks like he's in the top in, in the East. I think he's actually in the top five All-Star vote getters. And uh, in the and I think a couple of Bill Simmons podcasts ago, he was naming his sort of like before the end of the year uh, All NBA teams, and he, and he put Drummond on the second team All NBA, which is pretty fun. Uh, along with uh, Paul George, Durant, Clay Thompson, and and, and Lowry, and, and he noted the as he called the turd in the punch bowl of his free throw shooting. But it was just fun to hear them talking about the Pistons at all and how they're a serious playoff team. And, you know, we have an identity now. We have Drummond, who's amazing, putting up numbers that no one's seen aside from his free throws with the 18 and 16 
average that hasn't happened since the 70s. Um, and Reggie Jackson, who's played, been playing really well, too. So people are like, oh, yeah, the Pistons, they got Andre Drummond, and, and Reggie Jackson's good, too. Yeah, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how well Reggie's actually been doing. I, I've really been pretty lukewarm on Reggie Jackson since we got him. And uh, I've been saying things like, I, I he, in order for us to be a good team, he has to start playing uh, to being as good as he thinks he is. Well, I mean, I got to hand it to him. In, in December, uh, the, la- the 13 games he's played in December so far, he has lived up to his billing. I mean, he's, um, he, you know, his usage rate has, has stayed sky high, but as a fifth, it's great. Well, uh, 117. Uh, offensive rating, uh, you know, 22 points per game, four rebounds, six assists. Um, I mean, and to put to put that level of production in perspective, um, the types of guys who have done that level of production in terms of usage and efficiency for a whole year. Um, so not just having their best month, but who who is a what level of play are we talking about here? We're talking about you know Carl Malone, Dirk Nowitzki, Steph Curry, uh, Larry Bird. Only did it twice in his career for a whole year. Again, this is Reggie's best month of his career. The two numbers are uh, are uh, uh, over twenty eight percent usage, which is very high. You know, using a lot of your team's possessions on offense and an offensive rating above one sixteen. He's had one seventeen so far in December. Um, you know, thirty and one twenty. Uh, the combination of that is like you're going to win the MVP that year, and you're a Hall of Famer for sure. Um, and, and only like LeBron and you know, Bird and and so and maybe MJ have done that. Um, so you know, and then the only Pistons who have ever uh, done what Reggie's done this season in terms of um, usage rate and his offensive rating so far are Grant Hill and Rip Hamilton, who are real offensive heroes. Uh, um, you know, Isaiah Thomas had a lot of years that were really great, but you know, he didn't shoot the ball as much. And uh, same with Chauncey Billups, where he was really efficient but didn't shoot shoot a high volume. The only high volume guys who have done as well as Reggie's doing right this year are Rip Hamilton and Grant Hill. So that just puts it in perspective for Pistons fans. I mean, he's really uh, compared to last year, even compared to his good stretch with the Pistons at the end of last year. He's shooting the ball more and making higher percentages and turning it over less. I mean, he's just figuring it out and. He's fitting into the scheme great, and um, I mean that, that's great. I mean this is what Stan Van Gundy saw. I, I trusted in him, but I was I, I just wanted to see Reggie deliver the goods, and he's had a whole month now of proving that he can deliver the goods. You know now he just needs to keep it up for the rest of his contract with us, and and we'll be in really great shape. Maybe that's too much to ask, but um, man, he's been on fire, and we we really can see what our future is. I was earlier commenting that. If, if he can just be an average starting point guard, we would be happy uh, given his contract. And it would be amazing if he ends up being, you know, a really kind of a special point guard. So that's really great to see. And what, what I like to see is that when he does struggle, it seems like he struggles earlier in games. And he, and he comes on strong at the end. There are games where he has a bad line, but he saves us in the fourth quarter. Yeah, Reggie has been doing better in the fourth quarter. And that's what really has been getting attention. He, you know, showing heroics in the kind of crunch time. But even just overall, um, if you look at the ESPN's real plus minus measure, uh, and over a statistical fancy measure that's a little bit like hockey's plus minus, but with a lot more that goes into it, he's been 
close to a top five point guard in the league, and particularly on offense. Um, you know, he's a, so he's up there with. Uh, you know, he's not in anywhere close to Westbrook and Curry, but he's the next tier on offense is Kyle Lowry, Reggie Jackson, uh, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul. Yeah, and you, and you noted, I also see in your notes about who's playing well, uh, that Steve Blake suddenly seems like he's, you know, not such a liability as our backup point guard, kind of just in time for Brandon Jennings, who's been who's been suiting up, but on the bench until he gets more familiar or is less, less rusty. But, you know, Brandon Jennings is back, and, and he's ready to come in, supposedly. But uh, uh, SVG has said that he's in no rush to do that, and he has to earn his spot. And meanwhile, Steve Blake finally is not sucking quite as badly. Yeah, Blake suddenly has hit 45% of his three-pointers in, in December. Um, I, I remember him having hot stretches and shooting in the past in his career. He's out, He's not the long-term. He's not even the short-term solution as backup point guard. But, um, I mean, gosh, to, to have a guy who, who carried our team last year in Brendan Jennings, have him come back from an injury and have Van Gundy say, yeah, he can dress if he wants, but we're not playing him. I want to see better mobility uh, in his in his D-League games uh, on defense before I'll know he's really ready to contribute. I mean, in some sense, you know, that that's a perfectly logical thing to say. You know, we, you know a guy's got to athletically be there after an Achilles injury. But I don't know, it just... I just get the feeling that that's a major sign of disrespect to a veteran guy who was our uh, carried our our team through a lot of stretches, including our big winning streak last year. To just have him be like, "Yeah, he's he's our third stringer after this obviously kind of terrible player, Steve Blake." Um, I mean, why not just play him for a while and and live with his quote limited mobility on defense for a few stretches, um, unless he really dislikes him for some reason. This is just wild speculation on my part. I don't, I haven't read anything and I, you know, obviously we don't do any reporting, but I just feel like he wouldn't do that to a veteran player who he likes at all. Or, or even if he, even if you really wanted to keep Blake in, he could have certainly phrased it more tactfully. Cause I saw that too. It, it like made headlines. Cause he's like, yeah, he's back, but he's, he's got to earn his spot and he, and he won't, and not, not in the foreseeable future kind of thing. Just matter of factly, uh, it surprised me too. He, he could even just say, like, oh, yeah, he, we're so happy. He's kind of shaking the rust off. We're going to get him some minutes in the D League, and then uh, we're looking forward to him coming back or just something like that. I mean, come on. It's... Yeah, we're we're being careful because we care about him or something. I mean, you know, the fans don't know what's going on with his Achilles tendon. You could just say this is the type of injury where you got to bring guys back slowly or, or something. I mean, you know, sometimes it's, it's delightful when Ben Gundy's uh, very blunt like that. I remember – in the what was the post game press conference from the um, the overtime win over the Suns? They said, "Oh, well, what kind of defensive scheme were you switching to at the end there?" And he said, "Honestly, we were going for a defensive scheme that required no effort whatsoever, and that didn't work. So we had to go back to trying hard, and that's how we won." It's like, and and then he said, "Like, okay, okay, wait, this shouldn't be negative. We won." I, I but it, so he he can be a little bit of a sourpuss, I guess, when when he's not happy. Um, it's, it's hilarious when he's talking about the team, but, um, I just really, that really stuck out like a sore thumb seeing those comments about Jennings. I, I mean, I'm not the, like the president of Brandon Jennings fan club, but that, that seemed a little bit, uh, harsh. Yeah. I, I just hope that maybe he just thinks that being a hard ass, it will help motivate Jennings. And there's not actually something worse going on where we don't actually have a shot at hoping that Jennings comes back to 90% of his former self and 
Because one thing I want to talk about too is we have kind of new renewed set of expectations and hopes. So going into the season, we were projecting, you know, low to mid forty wins. At this point, we're projecting out to be high forty wins. Like we actually, and and the East is better now, so it's going to take that to have a shot at being in the playoffs. But I would say it's safe to say that if we didn't make the playoffs at this point, I'd be disappointed. Uh, and my my new level of hope is that we can actually find ourselves in the seventh or sixth spot, and then maybe surprise the Hawks or the Bulls and, and give them a good series and, and maybe even hope at getting into the second round. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare hope beyond that at this point, but it start, I'm starting to feel like, okay, we don't completely suck anymore. What, what does our roster need to get to the next level? And one thing is our bench getting better by bringing Jennings and Meeks back. Uh, so I have concerns about what we just talked about with Jennings in terms of him getting back as soon as possible. And I don't know what else. What else sniffing around our roster? Where are our weak spots? Like wh- who could be? Where could we upgrade? I mean, obviously anyone could be upgraded except for maybe Drummond. There's probably not. A, there's probably not a center in the league I would trade Drummond for at this point. But uh, who, who in our starting lineup and our backup would you? Would do? You, are you looking at sort of with uh, eyes eyes for we we could do, we could do better if we're going to get to the top of the East? I would say um, you know, first of all, our biggest growth is going to be internal growth by. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope and uh, Andre Drummond and Stanley Johnson getting better. And Stanley Johnson is is our weakest player uh, in terms of actual production that he's done so far that plays a lot. Um, he, he's just really heinously inefficient on offense. He he's had some bright spots where he get he's among our leaders in transition points because he runs the floor. And uh, he's been shooting well from the three-point line this last month, which is a great sign for his long-term future with us. Um, but you know, he's just, he's a rookie and, uh, overall he's, he's not shooting that, that well. He's shooting under 40% from the floor, probably he's taking too many floaters or has some shots he needs to add to his game overall. He's really young, but so long-term internal growth from guys like that is what we need. Uh, Baines has, you know, we, we were happy with him at first, but he's been a bit of a disappointment. He's, he's not playing that great on offense, um, you know, it just seems like he um, he can't get a, a shot up over guys who actually jump. He seems to not know how to jump uh, at all, even though he's he's pretty tall. Uh, so maybe we need to find the right role for Baines. Or he was very efficient um, in San Antonio. Maybe he was just only shooting wide open jumpers, and we're expecting more of him here. Uh, so that's kind of the internal growth picture. And then obviously the other thing we could think about doing is uh, is adding players. And I I kind of feel like. Um, I, I kind of feel like power forward is is where we need more. Um, you know, Marcus Morris and then long-term Stanley Johnson has the, the small forward nailed down, and, you know, backup shooting guard would be good. But, um, you know, in order... The, the, the key elements of Stan Van Gundy's offense in Orlando when he was so successful was uh, Dwight Howard on the pick and roll, a, a point guard who could run the pick and roll with him, and then uh, a power forward who could uh, hit threes really well and, and and play excellent defense, and that was really the game changer there. And um, you know, old, uh, middle-aged NBA fans will remember that at that time they paid um, Rashard Lewis an, an unprecedented amount of like a huge max contract, um, and it, which was more than a lot of people thought he was worth. But he came in and he was really the missing piece. Um, he he shot really well from three and w- was kind of 
what would now be considered a normal kind of smaller power forward who can who can make threes. Well, we need that kind of player, and and I I did some looking around for like who's who's not past their prime, who's in kind of the right age to get now to peak with Drummond, hits threes, and uh, well, well, before you enumerate those, before you enumerate those guys, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about how Ilyasova falls a little bit short, or maybe the combo of him and Tolliver. Tolliver just hasn't. Tolliver no longer even seems like a good backup power forward at this point. He plays hard. Yep. He's not making open threes. Is that is that more it? Or Ilyasova is a little bit old. He doesn't match up age wise. Uh, he's not quite good enough on defense. You know, I kind of I I can't figure out um, why Ilyasova isn't playing more minutes. Um, but I was what I was going to lead with was was that Ilyasova is actually on that list. Um, he's he's a on that list of like potentially ideal partners. Um, the couple of things where he falls short are he so far, he's not, he hasn't had a month where he's averaged more than 29 minutes a game. And then Gundy said something early in the season about wanting to m- limit Ilyasova's minutes, which is weird because at that same time he was playing Marcus Morris, like 38 minutes a game. And Contavious Caldwell Pope was a, uh, also among the league leaders in minutes. So, I don't know if there's something uh, – Ilyasova has uh, had some injury problems in his career. and I, I'm not sure what the story is there. but um, And then also, you know, he, he's playing really efficiently on offense. He's, he's hitting his threes, you know, not so much this last month, but he had a scorching hot November shooting over 40% from three. But he's, his usage rate's under 20%. And it, just watching him, he basically shoots put-back layups and wide-open threes. And then if a guy closes out on his three-point shot, he'll do the veteran move, you know, the proper thing to do, which is pump fake and take a couple dribbles, get going towards the basket. But he kind of can't make anything happen there. And he play, he seems to play pretty well on defense. Not, you know, can't jump, but he, he's standing in the right place to take charges a lot. Seems to be adequate there. So it seems like we, we either need Ersan to play 10 more minutes a game um, and maybe get more confident, or we need somebody who plays just like him to fill out the other 20 minutes a game that he's not playing. And, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get those guys because lots of teams want to have a stretch for, uh, for being the power forward position. Um, when you write down a play on a clipboard, that's where that terminology comes from. So, you know, I, I was looking around for, well, I mean, could, could we get someone to replace Tolliver and maybe replace Marcus Morris's minutes that he plays at the power forward so that he can play a little more at the small forward? Um, you know, I, the, uh, so the best fits for us would be, you know, first of all, guys that we have no prayer of getting Kevin Love, Blake Griffin, Serge Ibaka. Um, okay, you know, everybody wants them, and they haven't chosen to come to our team uh, when they had a chance. Um, but Ersan, uh, again, is on that list. Ryan Anderson from the New Orleans Pelicans um, started early in his career, was, a, I think, a second-round pick that rose to prominence under Stan Van Gundy playing in Orlando as the backup uh, power forward, backup to Richard Lewis. And he's still, he's still uh, you know, not old yet, and he's, he's really good. Uh, in fact, he's even better than Ersan on offense. He's a career 38% three-point shooter and um, can, seems to be a little bit more able to create a shot, like he could take a dribble to the side and get a shot off or something. But he, he doesn't seem to be good enough at defense to warrant, um, you know, really going after him. He's a free agent after this year, and 
Um, a few commentators have made, you know, said like, yeah, he's pretty good, but he's probably going to get a huge payday this offseason, and I wouldn't want to pay that contract. And that's probably a good point. We, yeah, we, I mean, I guess we could pull a Rashard Lewis again of of, of yeah, kind of the, this year's version of that. He would that would be the perfect case, paying him twenty million dollars a year, uh, having him split minutes with Ilyasova, and that could be. I remember actually when uh, Zach Lowe had Van Gundy on, and he and and Van Gundy was getting defensive about the press criticizing uh, draft moves and stuff, and he was saying, "Look, Rashard Lewis is the perfect example. Everyone criticized us to hell about that." But he was the piece that got us to a cha- the championship, uh, to, to, to the finals. And, and no one ever came back and said, oh, yeah, we were right. That was a good move. And uh, it, the money is only one. If the, if the money gets you to the finals, it was worth it, period. It's kind of his idea. You know, it's hard to argue with that. And I wouldn't want to argue with Stan Van Gundy about anything because he seems uh, pretty smart. But, uh, yeah, and he has the track record of being the guy who, who does that with Richard Lewis and Reggie Jackson get going on and getting his guy. And we're going to have a ton of cap room, you know, who knows? Um, but he, so he, he, he would really improve our offense. And if we can hide him on defense or if our defense is so strong by scheme or by Andre Drummond's beastliness, maybe he'd be a great fit. And, and uh, could come off the bench or he could come off the bench and spur the second unit. Hard to say, but, it, but he's certainly a piece that fits in our offensive machine very well. And I think you're right about Ilyasova. It just seems like when he's out there, I can't say that he doesn't play well. I've noticed he actually seems really plays hard, gets good offensive rebounds sometimes. Uh, but he, yeah, he doesn't seem to play enough minutes, and, and we're kind of caught out there often enough uh, with having to play a, kind of a smaller lineup with jo- with uh, Stanley Johnson and Marcus Morris playing together, or Tolliver out there. Uh, Shuffling his feet hard, but then breaking open threes, uh, or, or maybe maybe he'll start making forty percent of his threes wide open. That's all we need him to do. I mean that that would be amazing. I mean Ilya Silva is actually the single most efficient offensive player we have from an offensive rating standpoint, but he he shoots it so little that it doesn't matter, you know. So like if you're, I guess if you're trying to mow down a wave of zombies, having a you know, a, a great sniper with one bullet in his gun doesn't do much for you. I, uh, maybe that's kind of his his role. Um, so, who knows what's going on there? And there there were a couple other guys. The the other veteran who's kind of near his peak it, that would be a, a really good fit um, is uh, Danilo Gallinari, uh, the Italian uh, uh, player from uh, playing for the Denver Nuggets now, uh, famously. Uh, involved in the Carmelo Anthony trade that uh, got got him to the Knicks. Um, you know, he's just come back. Last year was a recovery year from a, a, a major knee injury, but he's playing pretty well. He's a career 37% three-point shooter, really good passer and ball handler for a 6'10 guy. Not that great on defense, but, you know, is smart enough that he could probably play well in a scheme. And he's under contract through next season. Um, so if somehow we could get him, I, I think our, our offense would really be opened up because not only does he have the ability to create a shot and, and handle the ball and hit open shots, but he, he's a little bit of a playmaker, which um, you know could make, probably give us a few more options to make a few more things happen when Reggie is, is tired or whatever he tried uh, didn't work uh, every so often. You know, uh, the, I always go back to what I heard Jeff Van Gundy say uh, uh, on a TV broadcast one time, that if a guy, uh, other than scoring, a, a guy can really contribute by spacing the floor, passing well, and setting good picks, and cutting 
uh, in a smart way. And Gallinari brings more to the ta- more of those things to the table than Arison does. So I mean, I just, again, I don't really know enough about defense to know whether he would ruin our defense compared to Ilyasova and, and Tolliver. But I just uh, it would be he's probably the best fit other than the the obvious. You know, wouldn't it be great if we got Kevin Love or Serge Ibaka uh, type of guy? It'll be interesting to see. Van Gundy is sort of on a timeline, and could it be the internal development pieces are really exciting. Stanley Johnson, uh, if we can actually get a healthy season out of Meeks. Uh, if we, I, I'm also concerned about our backup point guard situation, I guess, depending on Jennings. Jennings, this is his last year of his contract, and so maybe he'll come back and play well. Uh, are we going to... Is he a restricted free agent this offseason? Unrestricted. So anyone can sign him. Yeah, so so there's no reason to believe that we're going to get him uh, for any particularly great deal. And so I, I, that, that, I guess those are my two concerns, backup point guard and backup, and then power forward, backup power forward. I think you're I, – I think I would go further. I would say Jennings is gone for sure because um, uh, I think he just doesn't play the style that Van Gunny wants him to play on offense, uh, even though he has some skill. And, um, you know, he's, he's not very good at defense. So, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't look good for him long-term with us. And, you know, who I would have said was the next best fit for us, uh, it, other than Reggie Jackson, it, just by virtue of three-point shooting and pick-and-roll play, is Ty Lawson, who has uh, gone from Denver to Houston this season and has really shat the bed there. I mean, he's just... He's just been really bad and has not fit in with their first or second unit. Uh, maybe he'll turn it around, but he he had a, a drunk driving arrest, and you know reporters have been sort of hinting at off the court problems. So maybe we want to stay away from him. Um, but he'll be a free agent anyway. Well, I haven't I haven't watched many Rockets games. Have they actually tried playing him just straight up as the backup point guard? I, I thought the reason was they were trying to play him at the same time as Harden, and that was just a bad fit overall. Uh, I. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. I, I haven't watched that many of their games either. Um, but uh, he, he hasn't done well in any game under any circumstances. Really. So, um, they, they, I, I guess long term, there are there are two younger power forwards to keep our eye on. It, um, he, I've named all the guys who who are already good, but guys who could be good. Um, well, that I'll just say less about are um, one is Nikola Mirotic, who's plays for the Bulls now. They have a real logjam in their front court. We have five guys who are either already good or have a lot of potential uh, to play two positions um, in their front court. And Miritich is one of them. And he's 24 years old. Um, had a real. He's he's. This is his second year in the NBA after being a young star in Europe. Um, he's kind of skinny at 225 pounds, but he's been a decent rebounder. Uh, he seems like a real competitor. And um, you know he's still adjusting to the NBA three-point line and hasn't shot it super well yet, but has some potential there. Uh, and he's a free agent after this year, so we could maybe keep our eye on him. Uh, so you know, people who watch Bulls games, you might keep an eye on him. And then uh, uh, so he's from Serbia, Montenegro, I think. And then Dantas Modiunas is a Lithuanian power forward for the Rockets. Who he's 25. He's He's a free agent after this year. You know, he could he could slide right into our backup power forward slot and and um, fit right in. I think um, seven feet tall, two hundred twenty pounds can can hit threes. But you know, the, those two guys are not probably not moving the needle at least based on current production. 
Uh, I would really want to see Ryan Anderson on offense and maybe hiding Ryan Anderson on defense or Gallinari if we wanted to really move up from fighting for the seventh or eighth playoff spot to being kind of in the top four in the East. Um, but anyway, so my conclusion is it's probably best to just ride with Arison, uh and and a lot of the guys I just mentioned are actually free agents this offseason unless there's some way we can get a fair deal or a good deal to get Danilo Gallinari uh, from Denver. So, you know, uh, it, it's it's definitely too early to spend a lot of time speculating on roster moves, but that's one of my uh, real pleasures in life is to uh, waste a lot of time doing that. So I just uh, thought I'd share those thoughts with uh, with you. Thinking about the parallels with Orlando, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like maybe Ryan Anderson. I mean, he knows Ryan Anderson. That actually could get him a conversation. Uh, people feel like he's going to get overpaid. It could be a Reggie Jackson situation again where what some guy – the market will bear him getting a max contract, but people kind of feel like he doesn't deserve it. We could roll out the red carpet and say, you know, welcome to Detroit. You're our guy. Uh, and it could be another big risk. But uh, if Van Gundy wants to have a shot at contending in the next two, three years, he doesn't have a lot of time. That's a great point. I mean, he, he's making $12 million this year, and then as a free agent, it could be just like Reggie Jackson where we trade for him for the second half of the year of, of his, you know, year before he's going to get overpaid. Um, we see how he fits in. I mean, that, and then there's also the factor that he currently plays for the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, by the way, we're going to see the Pistons play them uh, in March, so maybe we'll get a, a scouting report uh, uh, firsthand on him in a couple months. But, uh, but New Orleans might start deciding to tank at some point, uh, meaning uh, you know, find some excuse to, to not play as well or not, not play your, your best players or trade your best players to have your record be worse and get a, get a better draft pick. If they don't feel like they're, they're going to resign Ryan Anderson, they might want to trade him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what they would want from us, but yeah, I wouldn't want to give up a couple of first round draft picks or anything for him. But, uh, yeah, I, I, like you said, uh, Van Gundy's on a, on a clock if, if, for, for the glory to accrue to him, uh, we have to win a championship when he's here. And he has said he signed a five-year deal with us and he promised his wife he was not, he was, he was not going to coach anymore after that. Let, let's take him at his word. So uh, probably, I mean, he, he's not going to be satisfied with like three years later we win a title and people remember that he laid the foundation. Um, people have already forgotten the words Joe Dumar is here, even though he drafted half the good players on our team. Uh, he also drafted all of the terrible players or signed all the terrible players that we had to get rid of. But, um, that, I mean, that's a great point. The The clock is ticking. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, so on that note, why don't we call it a wrap and take a fresh look in the new year. And hopefully we will have fought our, fought our way back into the top eight because I was really excited that we were solidly in there and we dipped right below that before this recording. But Yeah, yeah, we, we've, we've still been – fighting our way just to keep our head above water on the stand 500. But like we've been saying, we, we just see flashes of, of, of a really good team in here. And it just seems like at some point it could all fall into place. Maybe it could be something as simple as Jody Meeks coming back later in the season or, um, you know, uh, Drummond just figuring something out in the post. I mean, it, it, we're really that close. Or, or KCP being a little bit better on offense. His defense, we haven't talked about it much. I'll just mention briefly, his defense has been awesome. And his hustle, like he, he just runs like crazy, gets key steals. Uh, but he, he hasn't been particularly great from three, I don't think. 
been a little bit inconsistent. So if if he if he steps it up, or if uh, you know, a lot of things could happen. But we, we, we're solid. It, it's it's good times to be a Pistons fan. Absolutely, we're we're solid, and we haven't maxed everything out to get to you know solidly mediocre. We're we're definitely on the way up with our young core of of good players. So. Um, I think we've talked ourselves into at least watching a few more weeks of Pistons basketball here, right? 